Today's episode of Run the Film is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think NFL tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last-minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download Game Time in the App Store or Google Play, work that clock to your advantage, and score last-minute tickets. Man, you gotta get a you gotta get a, a cheat sheet or something. That's terrible. That'll kill us. You like that? You like that? I'm just about that action, boss. You cannot lose games in the NFL and still win. You are listening to Run the Film with Kirk Morrison and Ted Wynn, only on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome back. Welcome back. It is that time. It is that time. Time to run the film on the Athletic Podcast Network. Alongside Ted Nguyen, I'm Kirk Morrison here to run the film on what we saw in week number six, get you ready for week number seven, but also go over some news, some notes, but most importantly, our players to watch, our games to preview and review like we always do on Run the Film. So without further ado, I'm going to get right to it. Let's go over some of the news and notes, I think, of week six that really stood out uh, for me as I start with this one, Ted. There's still two undefeated teams after six weeks in the NFL. If I told you before the season started that those two teams were the New England Patriots, you would probably say, okay, I can see that being one of them. But the other team that's still undefeated after six weeks, the San Francisco 49ers. I want them to know that they can win every game that they go into, no matter who's in front of them. And I think our team does believe that. We can put the schemes together, we have the talent to do it, and we have the people who work at it. That no matter what type of game we're in, we I think we do very really believe that we can win any game. Ted, would you have believed that if I told you that before the season? No, man, the Niners are surprising. And the way that defense is playing, and I mean, against the Rams, they beat a team... I mean, a good Rams team lose, you know, missing Kyle check a huge part of their offense, both tackles, and their their defense is just playing lights out right now. So I thought their defense would be improved, but I didn't think they would be an elite unit, which they're playing like right now. Yeah, that'll be one of the games that we kind of recap from week number six, the Rams taking on the 49ers. But for me, before the season started, I think the biggest question with the 49ers was going to be, to me, their quarterback. A guy who was coming off of injury, Jimmy Garoppolo, tore his ACL. Would he grow within this offense? Look, people don't understand that Jimmy Garoppolo is still a rookie quarterback. And people are like, no, no, he's not a rookie. He's been in the league for, what is it now, five, six years? No, Jimmy Garoppolo still hasn't started 16 regular season games yet. He's only started 15. So he has not started a full season yet. So to me, there's still question marks behind Jimmy Garoppolo. But I'll tell you this, for the first six weeks of the season, he may not be statistically one of the best quarterbacks, but, man, he is in command of his offense. And I think that's the biggest reason why the 49ers are undefeated because they got a swagger and a confidence about themselves. I think Jimmy brings it, and it kind of permeates through the offense and especially the defense. I'm surprised at the Niners, not so much the New England Patriots. I just love to watch how they operate, Ted. I like the way they work because 
we can try to guess who are the Patriots going to be each and every year, but yet they find new ways to beat you. And the 2019 version of the Patriots right now, Ted, are what? They're a defensive team. They're a special teams-led team as well. They're beating you two out of the three aspects of the game, right? This is what coaches always say. If we win two of the three, okay, parts of a game, offense, defense, special team, if you win two of the three, then you're like, okay, we got a good opportunity. We got a good shot at winning this game. The Patriots are winning defense. They're winning special teams. And, yeah, we just do a little bit of offense. And this team is still one of the best in the NFL after coming off a Super Bowl victory. I don't see them slowing down, Ted, do you? No, and it's just, you know, people praise Belichick all the time, but um, it's just a credit to him how they're able to transform every year. They've, they've been used to being this offensive juggernaut, and now they've switched that around, and now they're relying on their defense and special teams, like you said, and they're, they're not only good in those areas, they're, they're elite in those areas, and it's just, you know, who, who else in the league can, can do that with a team it's year after year, just switch your philosophy and rely on different, facets of uh, the game to to win uh so yeah to pay, I, not surprising the patriots are good but uh, interesting to see the different ways that they're winning early season mvps ted that's where we turn now i'm going to start before i think we give all the candidates i want to see what's on your mind first six weeks in who's your six week mvp of the national football league ted win I think it's a close race between Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson, and we'll we'll, we'll talk about that game uh, today also. But uh, I think early in the season it, it was a runaway that Patrick Mahomes is going to win it, but he he's kind of struggled a little bit, uh, and, and Deshaun Watson's just picked up his play as of late. And um, he, I mean, he, he looks he's carrying that uh, Texans team, and they're they're winning some games. So I, I think it's really close between those two. Uh, I, I can't decide on one just yet uh we'll see how the rest of the season plays out but those two two young quarterbacks are playing uh really good ball and i got i gotta mention russell wilson too he (laughs) he he, he's playing amazing for the seahawks too but uh you know you like to just kind of prop up some of the young guys i think oh you stole my thunder there because (laughs) i was about to completely disagree with you in the first two look patrick mahomes yes but He's the reigning MVP, and mm-hmm. you're watching him. And I'm like, I'm not surprised at his play. I saw it last year. I think Deshaun Watson has definitely elevated his play. But if someone asks me right now, Kirk Morrison, do you have a vote for an MVP six weeks in? I'm not. I don't even have. I'm writing on my piece of paper, and I'm running it up to the to whoever's taking the votes, and they'll quickly tell you that the MVP of the NFL right now is Russell Wilson. I mean, he is doing things right now that, Ted, I I just, Mm -hmm. I'm scared to death to play the Seattle Seahawks. I really am. Because there are so many ways that they can beat you. Defensively, I'm excited to watch them play because that defense is back to where we kind of saw it with the Legion of Boom. They're not getting that same, you know, brand name as the Legion of Boom, but what Ken Norton Jr. and Schneider, the general manager, and Pete Carroll have been able to kind of revamp this defense They've, they're going in the right direction, right? When you got Jadavian Clowney on one side, you throw Ziggy Yance on the other side, still two of the best, I think, linebacking duos and KJ Wright along with um, Bobby Wagner, right? So the defense, you're like, okay, but the offense, and they're just adding pieces. And Russell Wilson, he's the construct, I mean, he's the, he, he leads that orchestra every single week. And I think what really sold me a lot more is what happened last week, Ted, in terms of Russell Wilson on a game-winning drive. 
his helmet didn't work. And I've been in those situations in the NFL where all of a sudden I can't get communication from myself to the coaching staff. They're trying to give me plays. We got a signal because the helmet just goes out. It happens in a game. But yet Russell Wilson tells Brian, you know, Brian Schottenheimer, his offensive coordinator, all right, don't worry, my helmet's not working. He called every single play on that game-winning drive in which they scored a touchdown at the end that ultimately beat the Cleveland Browns. So to me right now, Russell Wilson – especially that game against the Rams on Thursday night, some unbelievable passes. People forget that the Seattle Seahawks, they were in the playoffs last year. They didn't win the division, but they were in the playoffs. All of that has to do with Russell Wilson. I'm sorry, Ted. That dude, he's he's the MVP right now, hands down to me. No, you, you know what? I, I was just thinking about how Mahomes and Watson were playing well, and then I just remembered at the last second, Watson, Ada Wilson is playing amazing, so I, I would actually have to – Change my stance. I agree with you here. He says, and he's playing, doing it every single week too. Every single week. And Meanwhile, if you if you take Russell Wilson off the Seattle Seahawks, what are they? Honestly, yeah, the, that offense would move without <laughs> without Wilson. Um, but actually, that that drive you're talking about was actually the only touchdown drive in the third quarter, and they did take a lead. So it, yeah, third quarter. That's right. Yeah, it was a game winning drive. Uh, but his helmet went off, and then you know, like Pete Carroll was talking about on Monday, he said he he was excited and uh, to see Russell will work his magic, and Schottenheimer was like panicking, trying to get the, the system back on. But actually, so he on that drive, I, I wrote about it. He averaged seven point eight five yards per play. The rest of the the, uh, the plays which Schottenheimer called, they averaged six point. Uh, zero seven yards per play. So I'm not saying Russell Wilson should take over the play calling, but I think it'd be a good idea to let him take over for a few drives a game. I mean, you know, he's on the field. Uh, so I think as a quarterback, you have a, you kind of a different feel for the game as an offensive coordinator. I don't think it's a bad idea to give uh, Wilson the, the reins a few pl- drives a game. Yeah, you know, I know, I know in the fourth preseason game, the one that he didn't play in, he actually called uh, one drive, I believe, or a drive or a quarter, I believe. And I remember they scored a touchdown. He got excited. I think it was Geno Smith that led the touchdown drive, and he jumped up and was excited for his guy. But it just goes, he's got a little bit of experience doing it. He's comfortable in doing it. And look, he's the highest paid player per year on average in terms of any NFL. And that's the reason why I think he's the MVP. But one last news item before we recap the games of uh, week number six, Ted. Um, the officiating in the NFL this past weekend, and usually sometimes we kind of we have certain weeks that you look at the officiating and say, okay, you know what, hey, there's some controversial calls. We'll be okay. We'll move on from it. But I really thought this weekend we saw some calls that really changed the tide of some games. And to me – we got to circle week number six just because I believe that kind of going forward, Ted, these are some games that were lost that could affect teams down. And I think in the, you know, at the end of the season, I think case in point, that Monday night game between the Packer, the Packers and the Lions, two calls, uh, you know, hands to the face calls on Trey Flowers that just were not hands to the face. He had the, the uh, shoulder pad. The Lions end up giving up a touchdown on that drive that was kept alive because of those phantom calls. The Packers end up winning. Now the Packers sit atop the NFC North, and now the the uh, Detroit Lions are kind of just sitting in the in and saying like we could have been at the top of the division. We could have been tied up there at the top of the division. So there's just some certain calls that I've seen all throughout the NFL. Um, you we, we're just talking about Cleveland, Seattle. 
you know, the non-catch by DK Metcalf that they didn't have an opportunity to challenge. The Cleveland Browns didn't because they'd already used a challenge earlier that possibly didn't have to be used. So it's just a lot of calls this week, Ted, that I'm kind of scratching my head. And I'm trying to figure out what should the NFL do with some of these calls that to me are blatant mistakes that the NFL can just quickly not even need for a review just call down and say hey no he got that mm-hmm. wrong let's fix it like what are the nfl what can they do i think that's what they should do i think they should give uh more power to the people in new york if they see a, a bad call correct it right now like you know you, you can see in that re, in that lines game you can see right away in those replays that um they he uh trey flowers clearly didn't have his hands in the face mask so with calls like that, you could go go on the field and correct that right away. I don't see why they they don't do that because it's so bad right now. I think that in the offseason, they really need to sit down and rethink um, the officials that they have on the field, their system, because it's getting to a, a boiling point where it's just so bad, you know, and it's deciding games. People are getting pissed off about it. Uh, I mean, I felt really bad for the Lions fan. You know, I'm not a Lions fan, but like right. just watching that game, I, I felt for them. I'm like, man, like th- they're just getting a hose on Monday Night Football right now by the officials. And, and, and another thing, I think they, they have to have a clear criteria for what they're looking for on replays when it comes to pass interference. Because correct, oh yeah, like like we need we need a list of things that you're looking for on. For when you're looking at pass interference on replay because we have no idea because we're looking at these there's some extremely obvious examples that are not getting overturned okay that's fine but at least give us a list and tell us like all right you we need like these clear things that we need to see on film so we have an idea of what the officials are thinking mm, you know before we get to our recaps of, uh, of of games in week number six kind of the, I know the first game that we'll talk about is Chiefs Texans but that was a game in which one of those pass interference calls that you're mentioning, Ted, actually was an offensive pass interference call that should have been uh, been able to be upheld. Bill O'Brien challenged what should have been an offensive pass interference call on Travis Kelsey that was literally blatant. He was he ran literally right into a defender and opened up a nice little alley on the outside for Patrick Mahomes to throw a nice little pass. I believe it was to Williams on the outside, and yet. The officials say, nope, we didn't see it. It wasn't egregious or it wasn't uh, the result. It shouldn't have, it shouldn't have been an offensive pass interference call, which clearly wasn't because g- guess what happened? They ran a similar play the next play, and guess what? Oh, the officials just so happened to throw the flag this time. It was just a makeup call. So, yes, the officials need to get it right, Ted, but that's something that I think is going to continue to keep boiling over the next couple weeks in the NFL, and we'll see if – how the officials, how does the refereeing, how, do, how does it all kind of shake out over the next couple of weeks? Because that's a, definitely a topic of discussion during actually owners meetings that are happening this week. So we'll see uh, what happens with that. Yeah, and Al Riveron, the, the head of officials, is is there. So we'll see what, <laughs> you know, if they he offers some sort of explanation or or if they they come out with some rule changes this week or something. <laughs> Funny conversations to be had for sure. But now it's time to recap games from week number six that we kind of circled 
Uh, and these are the games that we kind of felt were the big matchups and ones that we can kind of dissect from beginning to end. But I think we'll start with Chiefs-Texans, followed by the Cowboys and Jets, and then the 49ers-Rams, and the Monday night game between the Lions and Packers. But we'll start with what I thought was probably one of the better games in terms of possible future of the National Football League, especially in the AFC. Two outstanding quarterbacks, the reigning MVP, Patrick Mahomes, and the Kansas City Chiefs going against uh, uh, the, the Houston Texans and Deshaun Watson. Guys had a good week of practice. Guys practiced hard. We got a good locker room. Didn't get off to a great start. But, you know, guys were resilient and uh, it was good. But, you know, again, we've got a lot of things to work on. We get back there. It's only six games and um, we've got to, you know, keep trying to improve. we got to try to get better. And a lot of people had, look, this game is, okay, the Chiefs are probably going to win this game. But for some reason... I was like, man, this Deshaun Watson-led Houston Texans team, and for those people who have not watched the Deshaun Watson after a game breakdown of defenses has just been outstanding. But I said there's something different about this game because I felt that Deshaun Watson has shown me this season, first of all, that he's healthy, but he's got some weapons, and he's got a coach in Bill O'Brien that's really allowing him to see the field, allowing him to be able to make some adjustments, some audibles, do some things that truly I think that he likes. And so at the end of the day, the Texans, they end up winning this game 31-24. to 24. There were some, some plays that I know that probably, um, you know, at the Kansas City Chiefs would love to have back probably. But at the same time, at the end of the day, I saw a Texans team that did a lot to really slow down this Kansas City Chiefs team. Now, before I get to my, for me, what did you see throughout this game, Ted, that you, that really caught your eye from the Houston Texans? Uh, you know, I think the the big thing with the Texans over the years is they weren't able to protect their quarterback, and uh, I, and we we talked a little bit about this, but that Laramie Tunsil trade is is really paying off for the Texans this season. Like I don't know if it's going to hurt them in the future because they gave up so many assets, but this season it's paying off. Tunsil had a great game. Uh, Watson wasn't sacked once, and some of that had to do with his his mobility. Um, he his stats don't look great, but there there were a lot of drop passes too. But uh, he he came through whenever the Texans needed him. He rushed for two touchdowns. Uh, so. Yeah, Watson just yeah he's so hard to he's so hard to contain because he could pick you apart from the pocket and when things go wrong, he, you know and he breaks the pocket. He's not look, just looking to scramble. He's looking to throw, but he also has the legs to, to hurt you on the ground and when he pulls it. So uh, right now the Texans are just playing really good ball. They're able to protect him, and they're they're one of the most dangerous teams in the AFC. Yeah, they are. They're they're a dangerous team uh, because. I think they have sort of an identity now, right? I think a lot of people, you always say, when does a team have its identity? Will it be early in the year? Is it late in the year? And I really feel like the Houston Texans, they have their identity, you know, six weeks in. To me, it's about running the football. And the way that they ran the football uh, effectively as they did. Now, look, they had Carlos Hyde, um, who was kind of a, someone said it was like a return game because he was a Kansas City Chief last year. But between Carlos Hyde, um, Duke Johnson and, and Deshaun Watson, I really thought that they kept this Kansas City Chiefs defense off balance. They really forced them to have to guard the perimeter. See, Deshaun Watson, when he takes off and runs, it's demoralizing to a defense. It really is. And I'll say that just from my own experience is that you're trying to bottle up the inside run, right? But then just the fear that if Deshaun Watson pulls that football, 
and he takes off for a five-yard gain, it almost feels like a 50-yard gain because it's like, oh, man, not how we missed that. And so it's in the back of your mind, and now you play just a little bit slower. And when you're playing that slow, that's how those quick hitters happen. And one of the one of the best quick hitting running backs in the NFL is Carlos Hyde. He's a downhill runner. He's not going. He's not a. He's not a shake and juke and jive. No, he wants to get the ball and go north and south. He's trying to pit his head on the goalposts. And that's what I saw from him was the different option looks that they had. That that option look to me, it was great for, uh, by Bill O'Brien because it wasn't necessarily a read option, but it was more like a, a real college type option, almost going back to like Nebraska. It seemed like. It was where you, you had a dive player and then you had the quarterback who was Watson and you still had like a pitch player who was kind of nearby. So it was almost like a three-headed type of play uh, throughout the game and it really gave Steve Spagnolo and that Kansas City Chiefs defense, it gave them fits. Yeah, and and they also have all these play great play-action plays off of off that of same it. Correct. triple option look. So I, I, I really like what they're doing on offense right now and, and – uh, like you said, there's so many things to defend against the, the Texas offense. You have to defend against the option attack. You have to double team Hopkins. You got to watch out for their tight end Fells, who had a good game. And Correct. Obviously, Will Fuller, his hands are inconsistent, but uh, if if you don't, if you're not careful with him, he, he'll he'll burn you deep. He's he's one of the fastest guys in NFL. And then on top of all that, you have to watch out for the Watson scramble. So it it's just they're doing really good right now. And, and the Chiefs defense just they couldn't tackle. I mean, I think yeah. they missed over 10 tackles in that game. It, they could not tackle the Texans. Yeah, that, that's a great point. The tackling was bad for them. And, and then I, I think when you look at what the Texans defense was, was able to do, was they were able to play a ton of man-to-man coverage on the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, look, I'm praising the Houston Texans for a great game plan and being able to come back from being down early, right? I mean, they were down in this game at 1.17-3, to and I'm just saying, uh-oh, this is probably not going to be good. But they start storming back. They start making some plays. Now, look, Deshaun Watson look was intercepted twice. A couple of those interceptions, you kind of scratch your head. One that was near, uh, you know, to end the first half, and then you had another one later on that was just kind of a maybe a miss assignment by one of the wide receivers running in the same vicinity. That was something that I think that Deshaun Watson maybe taking a shot and a great play by Kansas City, um, you know, making getting the interception on one, but. As I look at what the Houston Texans did to neutralize the Kansas City Chiefs, I didn't have to go far. But when you're watching the game, you're like, man, Patrick Mahomes is not even sweating. Is is he playing? Well, the time of possession. They had the ball for close to almost 40 minutes, the Houston Texans offense did, compared to Pat Mahomes having it only 20. And that, to me, is where I thought Kansas City never really got in the rhythm. They got, I mean, the first quarter, you would say they were kind of hyped up. The return of Tyreek Hill, we saw him get the deep pass down the field. But for the most part, I just didn't see this offense kind of clicking throughout for four quarters because they were on the sideline for most of it. No, and you know I, I don't know if it's because of his his uh, ankle injury. Mahomes um, re-aggravated that ankle injury in that game too, but he, he just doesn't look right. And I know he ended up throwing three touchdown passes, but the the Chiefs' offense have, has they've become so reliant on, um, especially when they're playing a team with a lot as plays a lot of man coverage. You you just need Patrick Mahomes to just make these incredible throws, drive after drive, and he he just hasn't been able to do it on a consistent basis like we've seen from him and that could be because of his ankle injury or it just could be just him not you know it's hard to ask a player to make 
that many plays in a game over and over again. So, uh, but yeah, right now the Chiefs are just off the rhythm. I, I think as Tyreek Hill becomes more healthy and he gets uh, more integrated in offense and Sammy Watkins gets gets healthy again, they'll be just fine. But uh, right now they, they are just certainly struggling and teams are just uh, playing a lot of man coverage against them and being comfortable with that. Yeah, a ton of man coverage. They're actually daring them to run the football. And I think also the bigger thing is that it's the old-fashioned game that you play in elementary school, right? Just play keep away. And when the Houston Texans run 83 plays versus the 47 to the Kansas City Chiefs, that to me, that's a game plan. Like 83 plays, that's a lot, Ted. That's a lot in an NFL game. And this is just a non-overtime game. So to me, look, I've always said this sometimes, Ted, that you got to be stubborn running the football, especially against a, a team like the Chiefs. And when I say stubborn, meaning that you may only get a yard, two yards, but I've never been a big yardage guy when it's part of a game plan. So if my game plan is to possess the ball, I'm not going to get, you know, maybe 200 yards rushing. If I rushed it, you know, 50 times or something like that, it's about the touches, not the actual yards. It's about touches. It's about keeping your offense on the field. It's about converting on third down. And for the most part, the Texans did that. And I think that may be the new recipe for success. Now, we've seen it two weeks in a row. We were on the same Run the Field podcast last week. We talked about what Indianapolis did to these Chiefs. And now another AFC South opponent, the Houston Texans, doing it to the Chiefs. That may be what I guess Kansas City has to figure out is how do we sustain some drives because we're such a quick strike offense, but yet our defense was on the field too long. And it's actually a successful drive by the Houston Texans. Yeah, it's it's a bad recipe when you're kind of a hit or miss offense right now. You know, you you're either striking deep or you're or you're getting off the field quickly, and then on the other side of the ball, you can't stop the run. So it's you know, they're not playing complimentary football right now, and uh, we'll see how they adjust. The upset of the week. The Dallas Cowboys lose. That's right. The Dallas Cowboys at 3-2, and two, they lose to the 0-4 New York J-E-T-S. Jets, Jets, Jets. I'm just really, really excited for the guys in this locker room. Uh, we were starving for a win and to come out here and, and do it in the fashion that we did. Defense getting a huge stop on the two-point conversion wouldn't want it any other way. It was good to, to hear the fans roar again and be out there on the field with my teammates. There's no better feeling. You know, when you're out for, for so long like I was, you realize that this game's a privilege to play it. So it was just good to be back out there. And, Ted, I, I got to tell you this. They, the, the game, 24-22, the Jets win. But I would honestly say that this game was close down to the end. Right. There was an opportunity that this game could have been tied on a two point uh, opportunity from Dak Prescott to Jason Witten. But I thought the New York Jets, with the return of Sam Darnold, completely controlled this game from beginning to end. I saw Sam Darnold, which I'm going to be honest with you, Ted. I've I've haven't seen enough. It's just been a small sample size. I thought last year. It's kind of almost hard to grade, you know, with Todd Bowles as the head coach and seeing kind of what was going on with that team just didn't have enough offensively. Then you enter Adam Gase this year and you get a couple games with Sam and then he's out with mono. Now you're like, oh, I can't evaluate him. But if I'm evaluating quarterbacks, 
And if I'm evaluating the Jets, or if I'm just evaluating the two quarterbacks, and I take the decals off their helmet, Ted, I just take them off, just put two plain helmets out there. If I see a, a green helmet and a silver helmet, and I'm just watching them play, I thought Sam Darnold was the better quarterback and looked like the better quarterback than Dak Prescott on Sunday in the Meadowlands. No, I, I agree. I, I think uh, with Darnold last year, it was, it was definitely hard to judge because he had so much uh, – the everything was so bad around him. Uh, but you could see some of those those special traits that made him uh, a top pick. And we saw we saw that against the Cowboys. You saw his pocket movement, how he's able to just quickly avoid guys and know exactly where to move within the pocket and not have to break out every time. You saw how he's able to throw off platform. You saw how quickly he's able to process the defense. You saw that quick release. And, and everything, you know, with, with Darnold going back to USC, the scout report on him was just everything he does is quick. And that makes a huge difference for an offense, especially one that is struggling with protection. And, and I think um, the biggest testament to Darnold is how much better the Jets are with him in a lineup than with him out of the lineup. With him out of the lineup, you could make the argument the Jets are a bottom three team. But with him in a lineup, they, they look like a team that's functional. That I'm not saying they all of a sudden they're a top 15 team, but... They're functional. They're, they're a threat to beat you. And um, that that's a huge testament to the type of quarterback that Darnold is in his second year. Yeah, no, I agree. And it, you could just see that it looked different, right, watching the Jets offense because we saw, you know, a couple weeks prior to that on Monday Night Football and it was like Luke Falk, you know, running the offense. You're like, oh, that doesn't look too good, <laughs> right? Yeah. And then you're kind of just watching the way that things kind of played out and it's it just didn't really feel right. Sam Darnold came back and it was just like a different it was a different buzz around that offense. Now, before I, I, I harp on the Jets a little bit more, the Dallas Cowboys have lost three games in a row. And when I watched that game and I'm trying to figure out because a lot of people are blaming Dak Prescott and I think some of it could be put on Dak. But if I had to split it up into percentages, I would say 25 percent is on Dak. But 50% is on his wide receivers, just not helping him. I mean, Michael Gallup dropped five. I mean, there was a three to four passes that were pretty much wide open. Now, could Dak Prescott bring it down a little bit? Yeah, I thought he was a little bit high. Uh, his mechanics seem to be where he's throwing off his back foot. And then when he's throwing off his back foot, Ted, to me, that means that the ball is going to sell. So it's continuing to sell on him. But yet, at the same time, the wide receivers got to make a play. They got to make play. And I know Amari Cooper came out of the game early in that one, and they were looking for, you know, obviously some contributions from other places. But to me, I don't know if I'm putting all the blame on Dak. He's going to get the blame because he's the quarterback. But when I watch the film, look, Zeke Elliott doing his thing. He's balling. He's, he's getting the yardage. The, the, the run game has been great. I really like what they're doing with him out of the backfield as well. Um, a lot of just, and to me, those are like run plays. I call them like sweeps, okay, because it's like a wide open, just a flare out of the backfield, and you get him one-on-one -on -one with a linebacker. I'll take that matchup all day. But when I look around at the other guys, the skill position players, Michael Gallup, like I said, did not make plays uh, enough. And then, look, Jason Witten is more of a safety net, but he's not going to run by you. So outside of that, not having your tackle Tyron Smith, I just thought that there are so many other things that go along with this Cowboys offense and team-wise that it's hard to just blame Dak Prescott, who I think is taking too much blame. 
No, I agree with you. I mean, they weren't just missing Tyron Smith. They were missing their right tackle, Lyle Collins, who's playing extremely well. Randall Cobb, who's their slot, was inactive. They lost Cooper early in that game. And you mentioned Gallup dropped five passes. And you know what? Prescott's never going to be a quarterback that's extremely precise with his passes. Uh, I'm not saying he's one of the more inaccurate guys, but he's just not a guy that's going to be extremely precise every single play. So, but you got to make a play if, if the ball hits your hands. Um, and, and another guy who's getting a lot of flack is Kellen Moore, their offense coordinator. He obviously started really hot, and they've cooled off as of late. But watching the game, I still I still like what he's doing on offense. I do too. I, I do too. Yeah. yeah. Against the Saints, they uh, the Saints kind of figured out his signals. They went back and looked at his Boise State signals, and, uh, and I don't <laughs> I don't put too much into that, man. Yeah, I was at but, Boise I mean, State the Saints this are good year. Defense. They're not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the Saints are a good defense. Like we right. we see how good the Saints are now, and, and then against the Packers, they were just like a ton, of, tons of drops. Prescott was turning the ball over in that game, and then against the Jets, the drops and the red zone execution wasn't good. I mean, they they drove the ball down to the red zone a bunch of times, and they they couldn't finish the drive. Uh, I thought Jamal Jamal Adams is just oh. an animal oh in the God. red zone. By the way. Like he's good throughout, you know, for the game. But when they're in the red zone, you you don't know where he's coming from. He's so good at reading plays and sniffing things out. And you know, in, in a, a league where that that prototypical strong safety is kind of falling out of favor, Jamal Adams is is one of the best players in the league. He's so good. Yeah, um, he's yeah he he's the guy that I'm telling you right now. I watched and I put it right here on my notes. He had an unbelievable game. Um, just. First of all, his blitz on Dak Prescott at the end of the game on a two-point try by the Cowboys to tie it up was perfect. He had basically he lined up as if he was taking the tight end man-to-man. The offensive line gets their count together, right? They say, okay, you've got him, you've got him, you got him, you got him. They assumed that he was going to take the tight end. Well, guess what? He did not take the tight end. The tight end was actually being covered by the safety who was in the middle of the field. He delays just a, I would say, a split second comes scot-free. He forces Dak Prescott to have to throw early, and it didn't work for Jason Witten, and the ball's on the ground, and they win. But that was just one of the many plays where I saw him just knifing through on third and short attempts, fourth and short attempts, and then watching him just run the alley. Jamal Adams had a big day, and then on the fourth and uh, two down by the goal line, just watching – uh, the first round pick, Quentin Williams, go out and make a play on Dak Prescott, man. So I, I just thought the defensive performance by Greg Williams and his team is not getting enough credit. Everyone's talking about how good Dallas, I mean, how bad Dallas was. But man, give Greg Williams some props in that defense. Those dudes came up at 0 and remember, they were over, right? They, it was a team that hadn't won a game. They were 0 and 4, and they played hard, Ted. It was great to watch that one. For more Week 6 recaps and Week 7 previews, plus players to watch, visit theathletic.com slash run the film.